Central Division Hockey presents a team overview of the 2020-21 season for all eight of the teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22. This standalone edition is for the Arizona Coyotes. A look back at our training camp prediction versus how the team did, team milestones, individual award nominees and winners, retirements, hirings, firings, if applicable, as well as the team grades for the GM, the head coach, and the players by position. Welcome to the 2020-21 season year and team podcast for the Arizona Coyotes presented by Central Division Hockey, the podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bigelow. We begin with the podcast after training camp prediction, Arizona 6th in the West Division. The actual regular season results, 54 points, 5th in the West Division. Postseason, missed the playoffs for the 7th of 8 past years. I should start by saying that Arizona did better than predicted 5th, not 6th in the West Division, but we're once again not a playoff team. It says more about the real struggles in St. Louis and also that LA didn't have the expected growth. But at the end of the day, the Arizona team was around the 500 mark outside of the playoffs where I expected them to be finishing with a near 500 record they had of 24, 26, and 6. That we start the series with Arizona should tell you one more thing important going forward. Of the 2020-21 Central Division teams playing across three different divisions that will now get back together, Arizona was the worst of them this past season for points and with the luxury of playing the weaker Pacific Division teams more often and as they move to the Central Division, that benefit to the schedule will be gone. The middle of the pack ranking prediction going into the season was based on Arizona entering the season with three goalies that I felt were NHL level ready in Darcy Kemper, Antiranta, and Aiden Hill. Their performance had to elevate the team's deficiencies offensively to make the playoffs. I also saw a returning defense group core that, all healthy, was also going to be competitive and be able to provide the goaltending support needed defensively. The prediction was the reality I just didn't think this team was going to score enough goals to be playoff bound even with those team areas in place. Arizona finished 23rd in goals scored per game, or worse, they were 29th in shot on goal per game. In fact, the goaltending wasn't as good as expected. Arizona was 22nd in the NHL and goals allowed, but the special teams were both 13th the power play and 11th on the penalty kill. A pleasant surprise. However, Arizona's 500 season is more about just how little to no improvement the Cali teams were in combination with St. Louis not having a good season well below expectations as to how Arizona finished where they did in the West Division. The team's record against the three actually good teams in the division, Colorado, Vegas, and Minnesota, was a combined 5-17-2. They had a 3-13 point percentage or lower versus all those teams individually. How far away is Arizona from being a cup contender? Use that nugget of a stat to know how far away. 
And the moves to the forward group did have the hands of the new-to-the-job GM Bill Armstrong's fingerprints, albeit if not for Oliver Ekman-Larsen not waiving his no-trade clause essentially, while things might have been worse than they were. The overattention on any chance Arizona had of resigning Taylor Hall permitted the offseason going into the season till he signed with Buffalo on a one-year show-me-the-money, but I really want to play for a contender bullshit, he was saying prior to the deal deal. Good riddance from an Arizona perspective. It was a bad trade for Arizona from the start. You know, Arizona was doing better record-wise before getting Hall via trade than after in 2019-20. That's facts. Now, the hope was Arizona would re-sign at least one of the vet centers, Brad Richardson or Carl Soderberg, both unrestricted free agents, yet both departed. Vinny Hinestroza departed as well. Penalty kill specialist and speedy Michael Granlund was bought out, and Arizona traded away essentially the center that did play the most time on ice from the year prior, Derek Steppen. The replacements did not equal the sum of the parts departed. Tyler Pitlick, Derek Broussard, Johan Larson, Dryden Hunt, and Drake Kajula. I wasn't sure the top six could score. I definitely knew the bottom six wouldn't. One thing to be sure is I won't say that Arizona brought back the group that knocked off Nashville in the play-in playoff bubble and had made the playoffs to have one more go-around as a group. While the goalies and decor under some OEL almost trade controversy did come back, even if just in Hall's obvious departure, I would have agreed to the team coming back premise for one more try. The truth is, there were a lot of moves that downgraded the competitiveness of this team on the forward group from the year prior additionally to that that I can in good conscience say that it's true they had one more go around. To be clear that this is the first offseason that GM Bill Armstrong is putting his stamp on the team, well, it's quite utter bullshit. That he didn't do more than what he did last season is probably about the only thing that surprised me. And I think that was OEL making a trade impossible in a next to no time frame and that he didn't like other deals that he was really considering. Let's not sugarcoat this. The team identity built by former GM John Chica is not in the same solar system to the one new GM Bill Armstrong wants to build. Arizona is going into a rebuild. This season, almost playoffs, is the last gasp of the remaining core. They are going to be a lot worse before they are better. Also, because this 500 team was hovering around the playoff cutoff line long enough come trade deadline time, a good number of pending unrestricted free agent players that could have been traded for futures just weren't. While that was nice for the core group and the soon-to-be-departed head coach, it wasn't good for the team rebuild. Some additional pieces will walk with Arizona getting no return now. That's a huge missed opportunity for the organization. Only having made the playoffs for some of the younger players on this roster for a round of experience would have made up for not being a seller at the deadline. Not making the playoffs, and it doesn't matter how close by, is by all regards a season that can't be looked at as a success for the organization. As we break down the team positionally and give grades, you can appreciate what we did like about this Arizona team. What the new GM likes may in fact be some of the things we don't. 
team milestones, Phil Kessel reached the 900-point career mark during the season. Notably, he also reached the 900 consecutive games played Ironman streak mark, the fifth longest in NHL history. It is worth noting that several active NHL players with longer streaks remain ahead of Kessel heading into next season. It isn't a list solely made up of retired players currently. Hirings firings. GM Bill Armstrong was hired and he couldn't participate in the NHL draft as conditions of his former team St. Louis where he was an assistant GM prior. That really didn't matter as Arizona didn't have a pick in the first three rounds of the NHL draft. He did take part in the free agency for his new team. Assistant GM Steve Sullivan was fired mid-season in February. The season prior, he signed a four-year extension. His firing was said to be going to mediation arbitration, and I haven't heard much of anything on it since. The reason is the decision needs to be made on if he can join another NHL team and whether Arizona had legal grounds to terminate him. Sportsnet Elliot Friedman reported at the time, and I quote, Sullivan and the new Arizona regime, led by Bill Armstrong, had no love for each other. Head coach Rick Tockett mutually agreed to step down or was fired as well at the end of the season after four years as head coach. Just prior to the season ending, I had read a piece that quoted Tockett as saying he was going to test the market, almost like an impending unrestricted free agent player would. So it was not a surprise as GM Armstrong did not hire Tockett. He would want his own guy in place. Thus, most reports say he mutually agreed to step down or others simply say Tockett was fired. He's not with the team anymore. Arizona have named Andre Turnier as the new head coach. The focus of the year reviews will focus on Tockett's performance as he was the coach. I will talk more of the new hire in the complimentary Arizona free agency preview podcast. You're listening to Central Division Hockey, the podcast and our year-end focus podcast for Arizona. When we return, the first team grades for the 2020-21 season for Arizona. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Football is back, and BetMGM is inviting new customers to join the huddle and enjoy the action like never before. Sign up today using bonus code CAPITAL, and your first wager is risk-free up to $1,000. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. New customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credit. Free bets expire seven days from issuance. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Welcome back to Central Division Hockey, the podcast, and our 2020-21 year-end focus podcast for Arizona. For each of the eight teams that will make up the Central Division in 2021-22, we look back at the GM coach and players and give them a ranking for last season. It's what we refer to as the team grades. About the formula, the GM and coach grades are out of 100%. The goalie grade is as well for the team. In Arizona's case, they use three goalies. Arizona starter makes up half the full grade because of the games played, while the other two combined games played make up 
the rest of the team's goalie grade. The defense group, Mark gives added weight to Arizona's top pair, then equal weight to the remaining four that I feel best reflects time on ice usage. Seven defensemen are graded. The sixth and seventh were combined to make a single number. To essentially keep in mind, teams use six D-men most often. If a team did use an 11 forward seven defenseman lineup regularly, most I would adjust to reflect that and make the overall out of 100 mark. Arizona is a 12 forward six defenseman set. The forwards are weighted more for the top six and less for the bottom six. Again, time on ice is why I want the final forward totals to reflect who is on the ice more or less. For example, a player having an off year playing in a team's top six forward group is going to adversely affect the team's overall performance more so than that of a fourth liner in minimal minutes would. For the team grades, the ratio for each team based on the deployment makes it unique to the others. Worth noting, I am basing a player on his role to comparable players on other teams in that role. To give an example, some of you may feel Jacob Chikrin's mark is too low. I'm not Tyson Nash, so I'm not giving Chikrin 98 out of 100. I think Dash would give Chick uh, 110 out of 100, actually. I'm grading him against 30 other cornerstone NHL defensemen, his age, the season he had, and leaving room that he is coming into his prime, not the other way around. It is to say, if I'm assessing this accurately, a mark over 90 for a defenseman is a Norris-nominated career best year that I believe Chikrin is on the path towards, but he hasn't arrived at yet. As a team's top D-man, Chikrin has comparables like Colorado's Kale McCarr or Tampa Bay's Victor Hedman. Whereas Jordan Osterley, by comparison, has comparables more like Nashville's Matt Benning, another 5'6 NHL caliber defenseman. Let's begin. GM Bill Armstrong. Considering Armstrong was in place for a free agency and the draft that Arizona didn't have any picks in the first three rounds before he arrived anyways, we are going to grade him for the season because he made moves and he did attempt others. Armstrong took over a team that is not built like the team he wants to have. That's the biggest problem here. Dare I say, it's the root of it. Still, he did make some moves that really were, as expected, a downgrade to his overall team competitiveness. First, the adverse effects of the attempted forced trade of Captain Oliver ekman Larson. For some time in the franchise's history in Arizona, some of you may remember Arizona had trouble keeping good players and resigning them to stay and play in Arizona. OEL is correctly cited as the player that changed that narrative. To me, it just showed the new GM's lack of regard for the history of the team he took over. We know he wants to build his team like the St. Louis team that he was an assistant GM of. We know GM Chica didn't build Arizona like St. Louis's team. And that goes everywhere from drafting and developing all the way through to the team makeup that Armstrong inherited. Armstrong didn't wait to make changes. Up the middle at center ice, Vets Richardson and Soderberg departed and he traded Stefan, the time on ice leader, away. He essentially destroyed the bottom six of the Arizona roster prior to the season beginning. In not moving OEL, the bigger consequence was he just made his captain's leadership role null and void for the upcoming season. You can call it a lame duck captain or whatever you want to call it, but GM Armstrong basically by attempting a forced trade that pissed off his captain and questioned his player leadership group. And to me, that's probably the biggest dick move I've ever seen from a new GM. By comparison, Minnesota GM Bill Gurren actually took over a team and made minimum to no moves. And after a full year of assessment, it was going into the second season, he started his work after doing a year of evaluation. That's the example of how to. 
GM Armstrong is not that example. He inherited a team that had made the playoffs finally, and he found a way to help them miss the playoffs like they had been doing all those other years before. 30 out of 100. Head coach Rick Tockett. How do you grade a lame duck now fired head coach? You look at what the GM gave him and you look at the results. You know who would be an excellent coach of the St. Louis Blues if they were looking for a coach? Rick Tockett. That's who. We are grading the players positionally. The goaltending explains the dip in the team's goals against. The personnel the coach had didn't have what I regard as a true top six forward group compared to most NHL teams, and a bottom six group that was gutted as was the strength up the middle at center ice. At best, Arizona was going to literally be a 500 hockey team, and that's pretty much what they were. Honestly, I don't think I could have got Arizona to win more games if I was coaching them. Actually, I think they'd win a lot less games than they did under Tockett under many other NHL coaches. He absolutely kept this undermanned group engaged and playing for the pride in themselves and kept telling this group how they played reflected their own effort. He pushed the most out of this group and they actually held the West Division final playoff spot for a bit during the regular season. If anything, Tockett may have had Arizona's group overachieve this season based on what he was provided to work with from his GM. Tockett came in and made this year about the Arizona players, and I also think the very close to capped out success the team had was because Tockett made it be about the players on the team playing for their own respect and not playing for the GM or even the coach, but for themselves, essentially, the most. Tockett knew the writing for him was on the wall, but instead of getting stuck focused on that negativity, he gave the team over to his players and he challenged them to overperform as much as possible to prove all those non-playoff predictions like the one I made wrong for themselves as a player group. It almost worked, but even though it didn't, I have to say in Tockett not making it about him or about his job, he got the most possible out of this player group, and I have even more respect for his coaching ability now because of it. 70 out of 100. Goal, Darcy Kemper, 2.56 goals against average, a 9.07 save percentage, 27 games started, 10-11-3, two shutouts, 66 goals against. Kemper's stats were above the NHL average for tenders, but they weren't as good as the year prior in both goals against average and save percentage. In two less games, his 66 goals allowed was a goal more than the prior season in two fewer starts. In part, the team in front of him wasn't as good this past year as the year prior, but he also saw a drop in his personal stats when the team required him to be a bit more above average than he was. There just wasn't games this year where I could say Kemper outright stole a game for Arizona and he needed to. He also missed time because of injury. Kemper didn't have a winning record and at a four 4.5 million salary that should be expected 70 out of 100 Aiden Hill a 2.74 goals against average and 9.13 save percentage 17 games started 9-9 and 1 record two shutouts 46 goals against Hill was thrust into a starting role during a time this past season when both Kemper and Ranta were injured he played a handful more games than he did at the NHL level the year prior and maintained close to but a slight drop in his stats but he also like Kemper 
ever shared for the team lead in shutouts with two in 10 less games started. That said, Hill had the team's best save percentage of Arizona's goalies, but was second to Kemper in goals against average. Given Hill's low salary and that he finished at 500 in the wins and losses, he kept Arizona competitive 65 out of 100. Antiranta, 3.36 goals against average, a 9.05 save percentage, 11 games started, 5-5-2 record, 0 shutouts, 38 goals against. Ranta struggled like no season I can remember watching him this past year. Injuries contributed to it, but when he did play, he did not look anything like himself. His 38 goals allowed was 2 goals to half his total the year before, except it's actually a third of the number of games played. He still somehow was 500 in the wins and losses record and had no shutouts. Hill was a better second option for Arizona in net than Ranta. The upper body injury is a concern and this was a pending new contract year. His pay, his limited play, and poor play when he did play this season leaves more questions going forward than answers. 35 out of 100. Overall, 60 out of 100. Given how close to 500 the team finished, I think the goaltending at times kept Arizona in games. Arizona also had late comebacks and required them to get wins. And a few nights, the goalies did win a game, but it was rare or below expectation for the quality Arizona had in their goalie group. Some of this falls on team defense again, but all of the goalies also dropped off from the year prior, so they didn't elevate to will this Arizona team to the playoffs and they needed to do that to compensate for a team that had difficulties getting shots on goal never mind actual goals the defense group Jacob Trickren, 23-23 time on ice, 56 games played, 18 goals, 23 assists, 41 points, 89 block shots, plus minus minus 6. One of the few bright spots for Arizona this season was Chickren, who increased his goal output to finish second in goals and points, nearly doubling the season prior. And that's not just for the defenseman, that's actually for the Arizona team. He also took the role as the top D-man, time on ice minute leader, and quarterback of the the power play. Defensively, he was strong as his 89 block shots and was second in the metric on the team for that. This really is Chickering's D group moving forward, and it was expected as he fits the mold of what the new GM wants attribute-wise. He also delivered on the skill set on the ice in about a minute more time on ice from the year before. 85 out of 100. Alex Goligoski, 23 minutes average time on ice, 56 games played, 3 goals, 19 assists, 22 points, 108 block shots, plus minus plus 2. The more stay-at-home vet was within seconds of his regular season time on ice average for consecutive campaigns and near the team's top minutes. He led the team in block shots with 108, and it was by a lot, while later in the season, he seemed to find more offense in his game. It wasn't much but it is comparable to prior years and at 35 years of age he certainly continued to play top pair minutes and he was the only d-man on arizona to be a positive plus minus player the consistency given his age to play top d minutes should be noted 78 out of 100 oliver ekman larson 20 minutes 58 seconds average time on ice 46 games played three goals 21 assists 24 points 26 block shots a minus 17 plus minus did the new GM's attempt 
forced trade, and an early season injury that had OEL miss 10 games affect both probably did. And although he was captain, the effects to the team leadership group following Ekman Larson's attempted trade didn't quite feel the same. It was a down year in goals and points, and OEL's time on ice average was just over two minutes less than the regular season prior. As the big ticket D-man cost-wise, Arizona needed more from OEL, and he still is capable of it. He was tied with a team worse, minus 17, plus minus. His trade value is diminished after this past season. I'd hazard to bet he is and will be better than he was this past year, 57 out of 100. Jordan Orstelay, 17.54, average time on ice, 43 games played, one goal, 10 assists, 11.64 block shots, plus minus minus 10. At almost an extra minute of time on ice versus the year prior, it's Osterley who, based on that metric, represents the D-man closest to top four minutes of the remaining defensemen of this group. His point totals mirrored the year prior, but keep in mind that's playing 27 more regular season games. He also was the third worst of the D-group in plus minus. However, if the overreach in seeing his ability to play top four leveled out, his value at $1.4 million, an actual bottom pair guy that can play additional minutes, he has value given his salary cost if he isn't overextended in his role. This past year, it felt he was. 53 out of 100. Nick Yalmerson, 17-22, average time on ice, 41 games played, 0 goals, 5 assists, 5 points, 69 block shots, a plus-minus, minus 6. Yalmerson's minutes put him narrowly 5th depth-wise of the D-group based on time on ice. Keep in mind, Arizona had a veteran D-group, so the minutes are more evenly spread between the 2nd and 3rd pairs. He had slightly better metrics in block shots and plus-minus 2 Osterley. Yalmerson is 34 years of age, whereas Osterley is still under 30. Yelmerson in over a minute less average time on ice per game, but at 5 million per last season in salary, he, like Ekman Larson, needed to be better. He is known for his defensive play, but there was a drop-off in his play and his effectiveness even in the parts of the game that are considered his strengths. Does he play more of a bottom pair role with a team going forward under a more team-friendly contract is the way I would see him continuing. 52 out of 100. Jason Demers, 17-14, average time on ice, 41 games played, 4 assists, 4 points, 30 block shots, a plus-minus-minus 4. Demers was based on the time on ice, the expected 4th piece to the top 4 from a year ago, yet his average time on ice is 6th of the D-group from this past year. It's a 3-minute drop from the over 20 minutes in the regular season he was deployed the year prior to this last year. Goalless in 2 seasons now, his assists also dropped by more than than half in only nine less games played. Second best plus minus of the D for the year at 33 years of age now. He is the youngest of the three over 30 D of this team, but at 3.9 million last year, he was the biggest overcost for the value he brought. Demers always seemed like the logical first of the over 30 of this D group to part ways with. 38 out of 100. Ilya Lilabushkin. 
15-42 average time on ice. 42 games played, one goal, one assist, two points, 72 block shots, plus minus minus 13. The physical element to Lilabushkin's game would be his biggest asset to Arizona. He is a bottom pair defenseman and in his prime right now at 27. He had the second worst, plus minus, yet Lilabushkin played the least time on ice. He really was the seventh D-man of this Arizona group, although at times this past year it seemed he was a staple of the expected playing six. The block shots and hit metrics are his strength, and like Osterley, he is best suited for a bottom pair role that is in line with his salary. He plays with size, but defensively there remains questions. Still, he is more the type of gritty defenseman the GM wants to have. 45 out of 100. Overall, 68 out of 100. The focus on what many consider Chikrin's breakout season this past year and who is going to be the cornerstone of this D group moving forward is, I think, natural progression and his developing with an overall veteran group and a veteran defense partner. It was singularly the Arizona defensive bright spot. Golagoski, as the other half of the top pair, maintained his quality level of play as well. Their time on ice reflects their play. After that, Ekman Larson, Demers, Yalmerson, and Osterley, as well as Lilabushkin, had down years collectively. The balance of those remaining minutes, while seeing a drop-off from the D group as part of the team reason they missed the playoffs. Arizona needed to be very sound defensively if they wanted to succeed, and that was what the team had been built for, and the D group fully returned. It simply this past year wasn't as good as a whole as it it was in prior years. With the exception of Chikrin, the group has now aged itself out of remaining altogether. This past year, they likely didn't inspire their new GM not to look at making more changes on the back end. Ungraded defensive depth. Victor Soderstrom, 16-19 average time on ice in four games played, one goal, one assist, two points, no block shots, a plus-minus, plus-four. The 20-year-old top prospect had a taste of NHL hockey. He will develop into a top-four caliber NHL defenseman with, I anticipate, a solid two-way game. That said, he is not playing top-four at least to start next year. Jordan Gross, 13-11 average time on ice, seven games played, three assists, three points, eight block shots, a plus-minus, minus-three. The primarily AHLer saw some games but didn't look to be an everyday NHL defenseman. At 26, he is in his prime and he really is organizational minor league depth. Kyle Capio Bianco, 14-28 in average time on ice, two games played, no points, two block shots, a plus minus minus two. He fits the prototype size profile that Arizona is looking to have. At 23, he also has room for growth in his development. He is one of the yotes that the team's plans to get younger benefits. Aaron Ness, 12-50 time on ice, one game played, no stats. He played the last game of the year as an assistant captain after a year on the taxi squad practicing. At over 30, he may have the ability as a vet presence for helping guys develop at the American Hockey League at most. Forward top six, Connor Garland, 17.55, time on ice. 49 games played, 12 goals, 29 assists, 39 points, a minus three plus minus. The goal production drop after being first in team 
goal scoring the year prior can be noted here, especially having three plus, but closer to four minutes average time on ice more per game. Thing is, Garland's assists flip positively from the year prior. His overall point production per game was better this past year, just not his goals. I don't doubt Garland's ability to play top six. Is he a top line guy or better a a second line guy? He is 25. He's now in his prime years. In Arizona this past year, he had to be a top line player and his goal production wasn't quite at that level. The determiner of this year's grade, however, acknowledges he was value for his low salary at under a million on his current deal. When he has a more lucrative contract going into next season, will we still be able to say the same thing 68 out of 100 Nick Schmaltz, 17.03 average time on ice, 52 games played, 10 goals, 22 assists, 32 points, a minus one plus minus. Schmaltz had almost the identical goals in less games played while playing more time on ice this season. He seems suited for a second line center. I have him before Dvorak as I felt he with Garland and Keller were technically Arizona's top line last year. Trouble is, that's a big ask. Unlike Garland, Schmaltz is a big ticket forward on this Arizona team. While I like him as a player, his current salary lessens his overall value. He is one guy that needs to produce more in a top six role and be way closer to point per game production than he has been. He is at just under 43% win percentage in faceoffs in back to back years. I note that as an area where he needs improvement to stay playing as a top six center as well. 57 out of 100. Clayton Keller, 16.40 average time on ice, 56 games played, 14 points, 21 assists, 35 points, minus 5 plus minus. Keller had a 2 to 1 assist to goal ratio and was 3 shy in 56 games played to what he had in 70 games played the year prior. He is a top line winger and remains Arizona's best forward to me. The team struggled to score goals. Keller doesn't have a true top line center to play with either in Arizona. His stats reflect that while he he is a guy opposition teams key on every night. I think he has value for his contract, and while others may feel he underperformed, that is a reflection of the players he is surrounded by that have limited his threat offensively. Like Schmaltz, the salary demands that Keller produces more. We also shouldn't forget he is 22 years old. I just think what if Keller had line mates like Sebastian Ajo had this past season in Carolina? Keller can can't be expected to produce as the only true top-line player on this Arizona team alone. 66 out of 100. Phil Kessel, 1705. Average time on ice, 56 games played, 20 goals, 23 assists, 43 points, plus minus minus 17. Look elsewhere for the feel-good return to form Phil Kessel narrative. I'd rather he played a better two-way game than cherry-pick his way to be the lone 20-goal scorer on this Arizona team this season. In fairness to Phil, the team needed to score goals, and he led Arizona in points. I'm just not sure it led to more wins for the Arizona team because of the poor defensive play that balances out the extra goal output. I just think of him going one for three on breakaways in multiple games and think I'd be more forgiving if he was a 30-goal scorer this past year and had more than just four power play goals, 52 out of 100. Christian Dvorak, 18-24, average time on ice, 56 games played, 17 goals, 14 assists, 31 points, a minus 11 plus minus. I almost forgive Dvorak's lower plus minus stat because 
because he played often, if not most of the time, with Kessel, who was cheating the defensive zone. Dvorak's 17 goals were not to me at the expense of playing two-way hockey, and he was the time-on-ice leader of the forward group. Eight of his goals were on the power play, so at his salary cost, I would like to see more five-on-five goal production with those team-leading power play goal totals, given that he's a 4.45 million ticket last year. With the exception of Garland last year, Dvorak probably was Arizona's best cost-of-value performer in the top six, saying that. Thing is, he also is a second-line center, not a top-line center. I also don't see Dvorak as a 30-goal scorer in a full regular season, 66 out of 100. Michael Bunting, 16-42 time on ice, 21 games played, 10 goals, 3 assists, 13 points, minus 1, plus minus. Bunting's 10 goals and 21 games played is a small sample size, but his time on ice per game was more than Tyler Pitlick's this season, and when Pitlick was injured, Bunting did seize the opportunity to essentially be this year's Garland for Arizona. To me, there is a worry of overachievement in that small game played sample size. What I did see in Bunting was at least top 9 in a capabilities on a team short on depth. That's where I'd price him at going forward till there's a body of work. He isn't a prospect anymore at 25. This is a prime year player, and I still would be reserved with a two-year, say, two million or under bridge contract, not big money as best year, 65 out of 100. Overall, for the top six, 62.3 out of 100. This past season, Arizona had one true top-line player in Keller, playing with additionally a group of three second-line top six caliber players, Schmaltz, Garland, Dvorak, and an aging vet in Kessel that played effectively a one-way game, the offensive game. Rounding it out, Bunting and or, as you will find, Pitlick, the other possible option, top nine caliber NHL players forced to play up the lineup. Against the weaker teams, Arizona was, even without offense, surprisingly competitive. It wasn't expected this team would score goals, and against the three elite in the West Division, this team was very outmatched on its forward depth as the win-loss record show. The question of finding more and overachieving collectively as a top six shouldn't have been expected, and truthfully, the burden of having to drive the offense as a top six, because besides Chikrin, no one of the D-men added goal production, and the bottom six didn't either. The results are the pressure essentially the five same guys had each night having to be the ones counted on in order for Arizona to win in a condensed 56-game sprint schedule. Honestly, Arizona didn't have a true top six. They did pretty good considering what they did have. They probably scored as much as they should have. Bottom six. Derek Broussard, 14-48. Average time on ice, 53 games played. Eight goals, 12 assists, 20 points. Minus 10 plus minus. Broussard was with Kessel one of the few vet presence players this forward group had. The large exodus of others isn't Broussard's fault. He was streaky this past season. Four of his eight goals were on the power play and his metric in faceoff wins points declined while he played more time on ice in Arizona than he did the prior season. In his prime, you could count on Broussard for a level 
level of consistency and he was a top six second line center in that time this past season he was inconsistent and probably better suited to be playing fourth line center not third line except he was Arizona's best option at third line center 50 out of 100 Lawson Kraus 14-18 average time on ice 51 games played four goals nine assists 13 points minus 10 plus minus as well considering I expected Kraus to be potentially playing top six this past season that didn't happen it's not a good thing his goal production from 15 went to four while his average time on ice was up and should have been at least in goals double digit even playing third line he did lead the team in one metric hits he didn't do much of anything else he is young enough to rebound at 24 but for an 11th overall draft pick with size the gm likes for his personnel traits this past year he didn't take advantage of the opportunity to step up and he was given them 45 out of 100 Tyler Pitlick's 16-22 average time on ice, 38 games played, 6 goals, 5 assists, 11 points, a minus 1 plus minus. Pitlick, at the halfway season mark, is who I would have put as Arizona's other top 6 player. He actually played more games than bunting in that spot. Thing is, he really is a solid top 9 third line NHLer. He was the best offseason pickup by GM Armstrong. And that's not a good thing. He was good on the penalty kill. That lessened the loss of Grabner's buyout and was Arizona's Swiss Army Knife guy who could play up and down the lineup. Priced as a third liner, he really was like Winnipeg's overpaid Matthew Perot at the right price point for a player comparable. At 29, he shouldn't be a top six NHL player either, but he would have been a double digit goal scorer third liner off second liner on a team needing goal scoring. In if he could have stayed healthy all year. 60 out of 100. Johan Larson, 13-59 average time on ice, 52 games played, 8 goals, 6 assists, 14 points, a minus 13, plus minus. The size and grit Larson was to bring, to make Arizona harder to play against, never materialized. Larson was one of the players that would help Arizona not get pushed around, remember? Larson isn't suited for that role, and he otherwise wasn't effective even in low fourth-line minutes either. Broussard would be the worst off-season signing, except that Larson probably was more so. At a league minimum in pay, he was $1.4 million. He, most nights, would have been better as a healthy scratch. The lack of Arizona forward depth, that wasn't even an option. His second worst, plus minus minus 13 of Arizona's forwards, was mostly about his own play. 38 out of 100. Christian Fisher, 12.45 average time on ice, 52 games played, 3 goals, 8 assists, 11 points, and minus 10 plus minus. Fisher spent most of the year on a goalless drought. He was getting chances to score. He just wasn't finishing them off ever. At 24 years of age now, it can be argued that he may develop more, but it's fair to say this was also when it would be expected that he would. Again, Arizona's forward depth, he played, and there wasn't, to me, further development from the beginning to the season's end. To me, Fisher needs to get better to be an everyday bottom six NHL forward. Trouble is, this past year, Arizona needed to already have him be one. 42 out of 100. Dryden Hunt, 11.58 average time on ice, 26 games played, 3 goals, 5 assists, 8 points, minus 6 plus minus. Hunt, another of the bottom 6 depth forward signings, spent half the season in the lineup while the other half not in the lineup on a team that would have an easier lineup to actually stay in as Larson and Fisher's game played while not adding much offense attest to. 
bit of energy from Hunt at times, much like the rest of Arizona's bottom six, not much consistency in his play either, 35 out of 100. John Hayden, 949 average time on ice. 29 games played, 2 goals, 3 assists, 5 points, a minus 4 plus minus. Hayden dressed in 4 more games than Hunt, but averaged less time on ice per game and had fewer points. He did have the 3rd highest penalty mitts for Arizona to a pair of everyday Arizona players. Krause with 46, who struggled, as we mentioned, and Chikrin with 42, who is tasked with playing the other team's best players as Arizona's top defenseman and the team's average time on on ice leader whereas Hayden played the least time on ice of anyone that played at least a minimum of 15 games for Arizona he was more of a hindrance than a help the most nights that he did play 30 out of 100 Overall, bottom six, 44.75 out of 100. Prior to Pitlick's injury and Bunting playing top six, in fairness to Pitlick, he was essentially better grouped with the Arizona top six, albeit truly best suited as a third liner. He also brings up the overall mark of this Arizona bottom six, that with both down years from Brassard and Kraus, two-thirds of the regular third line, and to put it politely as possible, I could, for Larson, Fisher, Hunt, and Hayden, fourth line or bottom six guys that all were best to be the 13 forward scratches that had to play as a line essentially do any of them play on a fourth line if they were on teams such as colorado vegas minnesota or st louis no the narrative of this team scoring by committee is false. The forward group bottom six was not of a playoff caliber team and part of the reason Arizona wasn't a playoff team. To be fair, there weren't any two to three million third liners on this team in the cap structure. Essentially, Pitlick, who spent the year playing top six at $1.75 million, is the closest this team had to it with Krause had he played up to the year prior as the other one. What Arizona did have is otherwise a group of maybe fourth liners at low cost, and the results showed. Ungraded forward depth, Drake Kajula, 12-24 average time on ice, 27 games played, 1 goal, 6 assists, 7 points, A-1 plus minus. Kajula never found line chemistry having signed after playing in Chicago the year prior. Buffalo grabbed him off of waivers and Arizona lost him for nothing and he finished the season playing 11 games for Buffalo. Barrett Hayton, 11.29, average time on ice, 14 games played, two goals, one assist, three points, a minus one plus minus. The 21-year-old center top prospect played fewer NHL games this year than the 20 he had the year before. The minors probably helped his development more. Thing is, he actually looked like a better option to stay in the Arizona lineup this past year than he did the year prior. Lane Pedersen, 11.05, average time on ice, 15 games played, one goal, two assists, three points, a minus two plus minus undrafted 23 year old Pedersen has quietly put up respectable stats in Tucson and in his 15 games played he was as good an option for the bottom six as Arizona otherwise dressed Yan Yannick 12.05 average time on ice two games played two goals zero assists two points plus three plus minus third round draft prep prospect 20 year old took advantage of Arizona's elimination to see a pair of games in NHL action and score his first couple goals in the NHL Michael Chaput, 924, average time on ice, 13 games played, 0 points, minus 7 plus minus. Wall traveled primarily AHL or 29-year-old center with 182 NHL games over 8 season and 4 teams. Chaput saw limited action. 
Hunter Foshing, 928 average time on ice, five games played, zero points, a minus, three plus minus. The 25-year-old added five games this year to his 27 career total. Forward group overall, 55.3 out of 100. That's weighted. The goal scoring Arizona did get was primarily from Kessel. The team's lone 20 goal score, Dvorak, Keller, and Garland from the forward group with Smoltz and Bunting, the two others that at least made it to double digits in goals. Add Chikrin's goals on defense and the Knights Arizona was able to win. Those were the names on the score sheet for them to be able to. It wasn't collective goal scoring by committee. It really fell on pretty much a handful of Arizona players and Kessel's total was clearly at the expense of team defense while the others didn't have a lot of production. In most cases, their goal production was down from the year prior on this forward group. The pressure on the top six to score for this team in order to win was a real thing. Arizona short on depth and support. They did deserve credit, that top six, for the effort, but truthfully, the really good teams could key on Keller and Garland and make it difficult for Arizona to have much of any offense at all. The changeover to the bottom six didn't make Arizona harder to play against, and it didn't help what few Arizona forwards did score. Hard to say they underachieved. They didn't overachieve for sure. Overall, team player grade 61.1 out of 100. Arizona is the first team of the eight 2020-21 season reviews for the teams that make up the NHL Central Division that Arizona joins this season. I will continue the season reviews next with Chicago. In addition to the team-focused year-end podcast, there will be a complimentary team-focused podcast, the Free Agency Arizona Team Podcast. Each team in the Central Division will have one that looks at the players we just graded who are potentially now unrestricted free agents restrictor free agents still under contract or potentially traded if they haven't been before we get to free agency you have to think of this year-end podcast as a roster look at the year that was the basis for central division hockey the podcast opinions for each of the teams for the expansion draft the nhl draft and free agency are based to follow off the team's review for each one i will build off from this point that's why as we've already looked at the expansion drafts and trades have already occurred for some teams that will be included in the free agency podcast for each team in real detail those are essential the start of next year's changes already in progress remember this podcast goes in depth for eight teams not one you like to come home to a bartender who will fix you any cocktail you want i'll have an old-fashioned i'll have a margarita now you can with the bartesian home cocktail maker bartesian is a sleek machine the size of a coffee maker that makes premium cocktails at the touch of a button choose from over 50 different cocktails from classics to the most exotic premium cocktails served in the best bars today you'll always get freshly mixed perfectly balanced cocktails with the bartesian cocktail maker and now get bartesian's best black friday deal ever at bartesian.com holiday entertaining 
The Bartesian is ideal for parties. No need to stock all kinds of individual mixers for complicated recipes. Every guest gets the cocktail of their choice in seconds. The Bartesian makes a wonderful gift for anyone who loves a fine premium cocktail. Now get Bartesian's best Black Friday deal ever. It's available right now. Only at Bartesian.com slash holiday. That's B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N dot com slash holiday for Bartesian's best deal ever. Only at Bartesian.com slash holiday. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.